Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen, amen. Today, as you're having a seat, get your Bibles out and go with me to Acts chapter number 11. This is the story of us. And the title of today's specific message from Acts chapter number 11 is actually a question. And the question is this, what's in a name? What is in a name? I heard the story of an ancient tribal leader who was walking with his son through the forest. And his son said, Dad, how did my older brother get his name? And the dad said, well, that's easy. When your older brother was born, I came out of the tent that I was in with your mom and looked up to the sky. And the first thing I saw was a soaring eagle. And so I named him Soaring Eagle. He said, oh, is that how my sister got her name too? And he says, yes, yes, that's exactly right. After she was born, I came out of the tent and looked up and I saw a leaping deer. And so I named her Leaping Deer. And the dad thought for a second. He said, why do you ask, dog vomiting on a rock? <laughs> yeah, the other church services had the same response. I apologize. All right, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, I heard the true story of uh, some hippies in San Francisco right, in the time of free love and that sort of a thing, and San Francisco was the place to be, but eventually San Francisco got so hot in the real estate market that they got priced out, and so they went south to Santa Cruz, and there was a hippie community that was there, and with free love comes babies, right, and so here they came, and it was time for them to start going to school, and the teachers started noticing kids had hippie names. It wasn't the normal names, Johnny and Sally and Billy and that sort of a thing. Now, all of a sudden, they had Apple. They had Time Warp. And they had all these different weird hippie names. And so one day one of the teachers received a kid off the bus and looked at his name tag on his shirt because the parents oftentimes would put a little name tag the first day of school. So they had the name tag on his shirt, Fruit Stand. So she welcomed him to the class and Fruit Stand, here's your seat. And Fruit Stand, would you come to the board and work out this math problem on the board? And Fruit Stand, it's time for lunch. Why don't you grab your lunch pail and let's go out uh, for recess afterwards. And at the end of the day, she says, Fruit Stand, where, where should we tell the bus driver to drop you off? They need to know where to drop you off. And the boy just looked at her. She said, Fruit Stand, where do we tell the bus driver to drop you off? And he just continued to stare at her. And eventually she said, oh, I know what I'll do. Oftentimes the parents write the place to drop them off on the back of their name tag. So she flipped over the tag and said, Anthony. <laughs> True story. What's in a name? Names are very important. And I want to talk to you about a name that we find in the book of Acts. This is Acts chapter number 11. We come off of the story, the significant story of Peter and Cornelius and really the birth of the Gentile church, how the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles and it opened the door for the Jewish believers to see that God was doing something and that he wasn't regarding the things that happened in the flesh, the things according to the law, the Old Testament Mosaic law, but now there was something that God was doing in the spirit. It was in fulfillment of that thing that we just prayed that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And all flesh included the Jews, but now also the Gentiles. And so the Jews had gone preaching. You remember uh, after the persecution of Stephen, and they went everywhere. And in fact, they even went to some of the guys that were the ones that stirred up the people to come against Stephen when he was stoned. They went to the Greek Hellenists, and they started to preach to the Jewish people in that area, and they started to get saved. But not only did they preach to the Jews, they also started to do something different at this point, and they started to preach to the Gentiles as well. And people started to get saved, and a church was birthed, and it caught the attention of the Jerusalem church once again. So they decided, hey, we need to encourage them, so we're going to send our best encourager. We're going to send that guy, Barnabas. 
And in Acts chapter number 11, starting verse number 23, we're going to read down through verse number 30. Take a look at it with me together. It talks about Barnabas, and it says, When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Verse 24, for he was a good man. This is talking about Barnabas. How many of you know when the Bible says that someone was a good man? This is the Holy Ghost talking about it. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. Look at this, and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25, then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. You remember Saul, right? Saul's the one that got blinded by the light. He got saved miraculously. He was the one persecuting the church. He was a Pharisee that was coming against the people. And now he had gone and gotten saved. And and it stirred up the people. And people kept trying to kill him everywhere he went. He had to be let out of Damascus in a basket by a window. And then they, they took him from Jerusalem because the Jews were trying to kill him. And so they sent him off. And he went home to Tarsus. Now, probably about nine, ten years later something like that and this pharisee who knew the word so well now was being taught by the holy spirit who lived within him that same word and he was ready to get into ministry now and barnabas the encourager comes and he goes and he seeks him out and he finds him look at this verse 26 and when he had found him he brought him to antioch so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people and the disciples were first called christians in antioch We ask the question, what's in the name? And this this sentence is a significant statement. We would be remiss to not pause for a moment and take a look and see what God is saying by this. Because today, if you ask people, what religion are you? Many times all over the planet, people will say, I am a Christian. And we can trace that route back to this place called Antioch. That in Antioch, they were first called Christians. It's significant because think of it for a moment. Before this, the church of Jerusalem was the, uh, like the kind of official church. It was the mother church, and it still is in many senses in, when you take a look at this. But in Jerusalem, it was mainly the Jewish believers. They were people called disciples. They were called saints. They were called the way. They had all these names associated with them, but they were still Jews living a very Jewish life. Living according to the customs and according to the laws, and yet loving Jesus, believing in him for their salvation, and having the experience with the Holy Spirit. But now God is doing something new, and Cornelius and his household had gotten saved, and the Gentile church was birthed, but here God was doing yet again a new thing. And in this place of Antioch, both Jews and Gentiles were coming together in one church and were experiencing the grace of God in a new and fresh way. Things were happening. There was momentum. People were getting saved. There was an encouragement coming from Barnabas. Now there's teaching coming from Saul because the people needed that understanding in their life. And things are taking place. And it says, and in Antioch, in this place, in this time, in this environment, they were first called Christians. Now it is a significant place for them to be called Christians as well. Because in Antioch, it was one of the three main cities of the Roman Empire. Obviously, the first one would be Rome, which was known for the government, for the wealth of the nation, uh, for the ruling of the known world at that time. Then there was Alexandria, which was kind of like the education center. It was known for its universities and for the libraries and the different things. But then there was Antioch. And Antioch was like the jewel of them all. It was beautiful. It was situated on a river. Some half million people probably lived in Antioch at this time. It was a place of trade. It was the doorway to the Orient. And yet, as beautiful as Antioch was, it was also terribly sinful and terribly ugly in its expressions of that. 
Because they had a temple to a lady by the name of Daphne, who was a, a, a goddess, if you will, lowercase g, who is said to have been running from Apollo, who was going to rape her. And so instead of being raped, she turned herself into a tree. And so they built temples around these trees, and they would have temple prostitutes that people could go and reenact what Apollo was going to do to Daphne. If you know what I'm saying, there's some little ears here, so I'm trying to be ginger and tender with what I'm saying right now. And so in this environment of sin, probably the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire, come on somebody, what happens in Antioch stays in Antioch. In that place, in this time, with this beauty and yet this terrible sin going on, God births a church that unites Jews and Gentiles in one, and things start to take place. There's momentum. People are getting saved. Things are happening. The church of Jerusalem notices. They send Barnabas. Barnabas grabs Saul, and now here they are. Now let's continue the story and notice what it says in verse number 27. And in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now all of a sudden, you got the people declaring the prophetic word of the Lord. They come in. They come into Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. In fact, if you read the works of Josephus and some other historians, they confirm what you see here in the Bible. We see we already know the Bible's true no matter what, right? But it's always nice to hear when a secular historian says, oh, yeah, there was a famine in those days as well. A couple of years after that, a famine came throughout the whole world. The whole world, speaking of the Roman world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Verse 29, then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Verse 30, this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They sent their best. They sent their leaders with a gift. See, names mean something. Maybe if I said a name, it might bring up some sort of a encouragement, it might bring up a feeling. Sometimes we can say a name and it brings up a memory or even a place. Let me, let me try this out for a second. What if I said the name Washington? Some of you guys might have a memory. Some of you guys might all of a sudden be back in grade school learning about the founding of our nation. Some of you guys might have a respect level. That was our first military leader. That was our general, right? Some of you guys might have a respect level for an office. Hey, that was our first president. Some of you guys might be thinking of a place like Washington State. You might be thinking about apples right now. Some of you guys might be thinking about the great architecture in Washington, D.C. See, what's in a name? There's a lot packed into one name. What if I said this name to you? Elvis. So you guys laugh. Why? Because some of you guys all of a sudden got a little swagger in your hips, right? That was, that was not allowed in the days he was shaking those hips, right? Some of you guys thought, man, I should have worn my blue suede shoes to church this morning. Why? Because that name brings some, some, some things up on the inside of us. All over the world, if I use this name, it would probably bring deep feelings. What if I said the name Hitler? All of a sudden there's anger, confusion, rage, sadness. Deep feelings come with these names, right? How about if I said this name in the scientific community? What if I said Einstein? People would think E equals MC squared, right? Or, or maybe there might also be a little bit of sadness associated with that name because you were called an egghead. You were called an Einstein, right? People messed with you because of that. One last name, maybe the second service will respond to this first service. They didn't know what I was talking about. But I, I used a name that I thought maybe some of the people that like sports would like. I used the name Kobe. Oh, oh, there we go. There we go. Okay, I hear it. See, some people say, man, greatest of all time, right? The goat, Kobe. People, people 
have something associated with names. And here we find that it was in Antioch that there was a name given to the church. Probably they didn't take this name on themselves. They probably didn't call themselves this name. It probably was the people of Antioch, right? These people who were living licentious lives, people who were living in sin, people who looked at these people from Antioch and they said, you guys, all you are is about this Jesus. You're telling me about this Christ. You've got to be a Christian. See, literally to be a Christian means to be one of Christ's people, kind of like the, the Jesus movement. You remember that of the 60s and the 70s? They were called the Jesus people. Why? Because everything in their life was stamped with Jesus. It was all they talked about, all that they wanted to do. It's all they desired. And so it was kind of a put down. And yet, a put down to a Christian is actually a badge of honor. Oh, you're a preacher. Actually, yeah, I am. Oh, you're going to Bible thump? Ah, I thump my Bible, right? All the time. Sometimes I thump myself with it. I need that Bible, right? It's a badge of honor to be called a Christian. Let me ask you this. What if you were dropped off in a foreign land? People just watched your life. Would they have a name that they called you? And if they did, would it be Christian? I wonder. Heard the story of a little girl who was asked what it meant to be a Christian to her, and she said, I would do what Jesus would do if he were a little girl living in my house. I think that's a pretty good definition, don't you? But see, Christian means Christ follower. It could also be literally translated a Christ person, as we noted before. Not only that, it had political implications that we have sided with his party. Notice it's not Jesus and, right? It's Christian. Why? Because the Christ was the title that the Greek name of Christ was. It was the Messiah. This was a military and political power. Jesus the Christ means that Jesus is the anointed king. In the old days, they would anoint, they would smear oil or rub it on the kings when they came into their leadership. And what they were saying is that there was now a change. There was something that took place. They were just ordinary before, but now they are anointed. Something has happened, and they have changed into a position. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one of God, is our king forever in the line of David. And now we follow him, and as we follow him, we take on his name. We are now Christians. We've sided with his party. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. Sometimes I'm a pedestrian, but here's the deal. In all things, I am a Christian. I have sided with his party. I'm following his law for my life. I'm moving about. I am a Jesus person. It's who I am and it's what I do. That's what it means to be a Christian. And here in the book of Acts, we see that there's something that goes along. When you see Christians, there are some characteristics. And today, I want to talk to you about what you will find where there are Christians. If you dropped them off in the middle of a foreign land and you started to look at their lives, here are the things that you would see in their lives. And hopefully, as we go through these things today, you'll see them in your life and in mine. First thing is this, what you'll find where there are Christians. Number one is the Word of God. Anywhere you find Christians, you will find the Word of God. In fact, the Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? We find out that the Word became flesh in verse number 14 and dwelt among us. We know that that is Jesus Jesus is the word. And in Matthew chapter number 18, verse number 20, it says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That shows me that anybody who is named by the name of Jesus the Christ, if you are a Christian, then when you gather in that name, guess what happens? Jesus shows up right in the middle. And Jesus is the word. 
That shows me that when I'm around other people, if I can start talking to them, yeah, we may be talking about current events, we might be talking about sports, we might be talking about parenting, or might be just talking about life in general, hobbies and interests, but somehow, always, because we're gathered and we bear that name, somehow, at some point in that conversation, the word is going to start popping up out of us. You could be talking about fishing, and all of a sudden you're talking about fishers of men. You could be talking about doing sports, and you all of a sudden start talking about, you know, bodily exercise, profits a little, right? The word just starts to bubble up out of you. You can talk about current events and all of a sudden you're saying, these people need Jesus. We need to share the love of God with them. They need to know that we're not mad at them, that we love them, and they can be a part of the family. The word will just be prevalent. And I have a hard time getting around people that call themselves Christians. And when you start talking about the word, they say, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I wonder if you're worthy of that name. Why? Because wherever you find Christians, there you will find the word. See, in Antioch, we notice whether it be through prophecy, the prophets start showing up declaring the will and the counsel of God, speaking forth, foretelling and foretelling the word of God, whether it be through teaching as Saul was brought back to teach. This guy was a Pharisee, a Pharisee. He knew the word up, down, left, right, back, front. He could school you all day long on the word of God. But not only that, now that he was full of the Holy Ghost, he had the eyes of his understanding enlightened so that he could take that natural knowledge of the world combined with the spiritual knowledge that God was dropping on him and now all of a sudden you got books like Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians this guy could preach the word of God but not only that you had Barnabas Barnabas was an exhorter he was an encourager this guy was like the Joel Osteen of his day you know what I'm saying Joel you're not going to get like a seven-point sermon that breaks down the Greek and the Hebrew all you're going to get is a good word that encourages you hey y'all you can do it that's what he does all day long and I believe Barnabas showed up to Antioch and he said hey y'all you can do it and they were encouraged he said stay with the grace of God listen you got saved that's good but it's not just a fire insurance that you pray a prayer and then live like the devil you got to keep up with this keep going you can do it don't go back to the old way you can go on with God's way but he didn't leave them there they needed more of the word so he got the guy that he knew knew the word more than anybody else did he God saw and he grabbed them and they started to teach the people prophetic words are coming there's people assembling in the church my goodness, the word was central to the church of Acts, and it was central to these believers who were first called Christians in Antioch. When William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was on his deathbed, his lawyer needed to get some paperwork signed by him so that he could execute the will much simpler than when he was, when he was alive. And so here he is, and he's trying to get these signatures, and the problem was that William Booth was in and out of consciousness. So he got his wife, and anytime he was awake, she'd go and grab him. Hey, we need to get these papers signed. And so little by little, he would sign these papers. Eventually, he got every paper signed. So he went back to his offices, and he was putting everything in order with the paperwork. And he noticed something, that every signature wasn't like the signatures that he used to write on his documents. And so after examining for them for a while... He realized that even though he had every space signed, that in every place William Booth was asked to write his signature, he wrote a name, Jesus. And I believe that that's like our lives, everywhere that we write a name, everywhere that we put our stamp on something, in any place, in any space in our lives, the name of Jesus should be written on every area of our life. Is anybody listening today? Come on, give the Lord a great big praise. What's in a name? 
What you'll find where there are Christians, people that are named by the name of Jesus Christ. Number one, you will find the word of God. But secondly is this. Secondly, when people are named Christians, you will find encouragement. Sometimes people say, well, pastor, I'm not a Barnabas. I'm not a Joel Osteen. I'm not an exhorter. You know, I'm not really good at that. I have a hard time talking to people. But you know that when you're around real Christians, all you got to do is get around them and you'll start to be lifted up. Get around other people and you start to be encouraged. You wonder why I'm getting on you on the live stream. Here's the reason why. is because we need each other in the body of Christ. We, we don't need to be isolated and insulated from other people. No, we need to get into a room where somebody's sitting on the other side of the aisle. And when we were daydreaming, all of a sudden we heard somebody say, hey, pastor, that's a good word. Go on and preach there, white boy, right? All of a sudden you realize, oh, yeah, that was a good point. I, I need to clap too. And what happens? You're more involved. You're more interested. Your, your attention is on the things of God. As you're walking in, you got these greeters. And you're asking them, how are you doing today? And they say, man, I'm doing great. It's going to be a great day. God's going to speak to you. God's going to do something in your life. And you said, man. I just asked them how they were, and I got blessed. See, that's what happens when you get in church is all of a sudden you start to get lifted up and built up and encouraged. And the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day approaching. So stir one another up towards love and good deeds. See, it's in these environments of church and of other believers that we start to get encouraged, built up, and lifted up in lives. Don't we need to be encouraged these days? I mean, like, literally everything around us is depressing. The, the sky is depressing because it's on fire with all the ash and all this stuff, the smoke in the sky. Then we look at the economy. That's depressing. We look at our 401K. That's depressing, right? We look at our children going to school online, and they're complaining. They're underneath the chair, hiding, trying not to do Zoom meetings any longer. That's depressing. We look at the news and what's happening in other areas, and there's another court case. There's another riot. There's another thing happening. More people are railing and, and, and disrespecting authorities. Oh, Oh my goodness, everything's a problem. We need to be in church around other Christians to be encouraged and lifted up. I'm sure we've all known the pain of people making fun of us because of our name, right? Tell someone your name and they go, oh, that's a stupid name or that's a goofy name or they rhyme your name with something else, whether it's your first or your last name. See, growing up, I never had this problem because my last name is Roth. And about the only thing they could figure out that rhymed with Roth was broth, Right? Chicken broth, chicken broth roth. And it was just always so stupid hearing a sound out of someone's mouth that I never took offense to it. I just laughed at him and moved on with my life. And so, you know, kind of fast forwarding into my, my young adult years, I was working at an auto shop and I had a guy named Jeremy. I called him J. Remy. He was just the coolest guy, big, tall guy, always happy. He wasn't a believer, but my goodness, every time I got around him, he had a smile and he had a joke and he had a good thing to say. And I just loved working with this guy. And so I always called him J. Remy. One day he said, hey, is that an insult that you call me J. Remy? Like, what is that? I said, no, man, it's a term of endearment. It's because I love you, bro. And he's like, oh, okay. He goes, what did they call you growing up? And they call you, what, chicken broth roth? And we laughed. Oh, my goodness. I said, yeah, they tried it, but it didn't work. And, oh, from that point on, everything was chicken broth roth. You know what I mean? And, and, and we just always laughed because I always thought that's not a thing. Until one day I went to my pantry at home. And I was like, what are these kids doing? They're trying to drive me crazy, setting this up. What is going on here? I guess Jeremy was right. Chicken bone broth right there. So anyways, I'm going to stay away, from, stay away from the pantry to keep myself encouraged. But here's the deal. What's in the name? What's in the name? Encouragement. 
We ought to smile. We ought to laugh. When we get around other Christians, it ought to be a good thing that we can be built up and encouraged and not tore down and discouraged. First Thessalonians chapter number 2. First Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 11. And verse number 12 in the New King James Version, look at it, what it says. It says, as you know how we exhorted, we encouraged you and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. You know, if you're a dad in this place, you understand you want the best for your kids. You want your kids to succeed. You want them to go further than you ever did. Sometimes you might be a little tough on them. You might be a little hard on them. Why? Because you want the best for their lives. You want to build them up. You want to lift them up. And you want to encourage them. And so it says just like that, we exhorted, we comforted, and we charged every one of you as a father does his own children. To do what? Verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. See, there are some times where we have to say things that might not feel all that nice to each other, but we know it's for the edification. It's to build you up and build you strong. Hey, stick with it. Hey, keep going. Hey, don't go back to the old ways. Keep going with God's ways. There are times when we've got to tell people, walk worthy of God. Hey, that's not how you should be acting as a Christian. Those are exhortations and those are encouragements to keep people going in the things of God. I heard the story of Alexander the Great was on the battlefield one day and a company of men came to him and they were totally frustrated with one of their fellow soldiers. And they brought him to Alexander the Great, this great general, this great king, and they said, we, we can't stand this guy, he's a coward. And Alexander the Great examining him looked at him and he said, hey, what's your name, soldier? And he looked up and he said, my name is Alexander. Alexander the Great was taken aback and he thought for a moment and he came back with this response. Either change your name or change your conduct. And I believe that there are a lot of people in church, a lot of people in the United States especially, that call themselves Christians, and yet it's more of a cultural Christianity. It's because their mama and their daddy told them we're Christians growing up, or because they thought that we're in America, which is the quote-unquote Christian nation. No such thing. Because to bear that name means that you have to act a certain way. And either... You live like a Christian or you change your name. Come on. Either you change your name or you change your conduct. Start living up. Walk worthy of God. Walk worthy of the name of Jesus. Walk worthy of the Christ, the King of all. Start living out his law and his law is love. It's time to change our name or to change our conduct. God wants us to bear his name. Last thing is this. Last thing is this. What you will find where there are Christians. Number one, you're going to find the word of God. Number two, you're going to find encouragement. Last one for us today is this. Where you find Christians, you will find big hearts. Big hearts. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that big hearts? Big hearts of generosity. Big hearts of unselfishness. Big hearts of going above and beyond. Why? Because we've received the heartbeat of God. We have a big heart for God. We're open to everything that he has. But guess what else? We're open to others. Notice that the church in the book of Acts, when they heard that there was going to be a famine in the land, Agabus the prophet gets up and he shows by the spirit that there's going to be a famine. And because that famine is coming, the church at Antioch, they didn't stop and say, what are we going to do? Oh, no, we need to create storehouses like Joseph did. We need to have a lot of food for ourselves. No, their hearts were so big that they thought for a moment and they said, you know, we have so much. We've got such an abundance in our lives. And guess what else we've got? We're Roman citizens. But the church in Jerusalem, they're Jews. They've been cast out of the synagogues because they're following the way. 
They don't have the things that we have. We need to collect an offering and we need to send it to them. And not only did they think about doing this good thing, the Bible says, and so they did. They didn't just think about it, determine in their heart, oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to give it a million dollars. I'd love to give an offering, right? Hear that all the time. And yet, what did they do? They wrote the check. They collected the offering. They brought it to their leaders and they said, we want you guys to go and take this to the church of Jerusalem and let them know that we love them. We're putting our money where our mouth is right here. We want you to take this and bless the church and send relief and aid. And this they did by the hands of Saul and Barnabas. They sent their best. They sent their heart with them. And all of us, we need to understand that God wants us not only to just have it in word, but also to have it in deed. I love what Psalms chapter 37 says. If you want to turn there with me in your Bible, find Psalm number 37. If you want to be encouraged this week, you know there's a lot of stuff bringing you down all around externally, that sort of thing. We just talked about encouragement. You want to be encouraged this week? Read the whole of Psalm 37. Maybe you want to read it every morning when you get up. Just let that be your meditation in the morning. Talks about don't fret because of evildoers. Oh my goodness, sink your heart into the Lord. Talks about the promises that God has for every person that's following him. And in Psalms 37, I just want to read for our portion in the message today, verse number 19, then we're going to drop down to verse number 21. Psalms 37, starting in verse number 19, look at what it says. It says, they, who's the they? All right, talking about you, it's talking about me. Talking about the righteous ones. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine... They shall be satisfied. Notice we were just talking about a famine that was going to come upon the whole world. The whole world that the known time was the Roman world. And so here, they, the righteous, both the people of Antioch and also the people of Jerusalem who didn't have what they had. They were not ashamed in the evil day. And in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. They sent relief that satisfied the church there in Jerusalem. Verse 21, the wicked borrows and does not repay. But the righteous shows mercy and does what? Gives. Why? Because they've got a great, big, generous heart. They've got an open heart. Listen, it doesn't matter what you have or don't have. We all have something that we can give. We can give love. We can give our time. We can give a listening ear. We can give attention. We can give interest. We can give help. We can give of our treasures, whatever we have. Hey, if i got a sandwich, you can have half, bro. If you're hungry, hey, come on, man. Whatever we have, some of us have a lot more than others, and we can give liberally, and we can give abundantly. But whatever we do have, that we give. Why? Because we are Christians called by the name of God, and we've got big hearts that are ready to do what it is that God has called us to do. I love what Augustine said. He said, a Christian is a mind through which Christ thinks, a heart through which Christ loves, a voice through which Christ speaks, and a hand through which Christ helps. If I asked you what it meant to Hoover, you would probably say that would mean to vacuum in our day and age. Is that right? If I said, hey, you want to go Hoover? You'd say, I already cleaned my house and I don't really like vacuuming that much. But let me bring you a different meaning. The end of World War I, Herbert Hoover, who later on became one of our American presidents, led the Allied relief efforts in Europe. He kept hundreds of thousands of people from starvation. And a new word entered the Finnish language in Finland to Hoover means to be kind or to help. So if I was going to say, hey, we're going to go hoover someone, going to go hoover our neighbors, right? It meant we were going to be kind to our neighbors. We were going to help our neighbors. See, I believe that the term Christian should be an action word as well. Hey, we're going to go Christian those people over there. Why? Because they need to be Christian. I'm going to Christian my neighbors so hard, they will not know what hit them. Hey, you want to go Christian today? 
because there's people out there dying going to hell. We need to go Christian them people, right? See, I believe that in our day and age, to Christian should mean something significant. That when people say, hey, what are those Christians doing? Oh, my goodness, those Christians are up to some good. They are Christianing so well that God is pleased and God is smiling. Come on, somebody. Let's be the Christians God has called us to be. See, much more to every believer than titles, backgrounds, our citizenship, whatever it is, much more than any of those things is our love and our unity in Christ. No longer is it Jew preaching to Gentile or Gentile sending money to Jews, but it's Christians evangelizing and Christians sharing. And for all of us today, we need to realize that if we are called by that name, then we either need to change our name or we need to change our conduct. And there are some things that should be distinct in the life of every believer. Number one, it should be the word of God. It should pour out of us. It should be something that's prevalent in every single one of our lives. Number two, it should be encouragement that we're always exhorting one another, encouraging one another, lifting each other up, pushing each other forward. And finally, that it should be a great big heart, just like the heart of God, that we would have a heart that's open to what God wants. And because we love God, that we love people that he brings into our lives. Today I invite you, would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me and let's just take a moment in prayer. No one get up, no one leave during this time online. Come on, don't log off yet. You didn't come to watch a television show. You came to participate in a church service. And as you bow your head and close your eyes, as we often do, I want you to just pray this prayer before the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit, God, what are you speaking to me? As you listen for his voice, it could be that God is speaking to you about the word. Maybe you've gotten off your daily routine of reading the word. God's saying it's time to get back to it. Maybe because of political pressure, peer pressure, you don't feel like you can share the word with people. They pushed you away and said, you're a Bible thumper. Don't preach at me. And so you backed off. But if you're a Christian, that word should be on your lips and in your life. What is God speaking to you? For some of you, I believe God's just encouraging you right now. Keep going. You can do it. Come on, you got this. We can do it together. Just let the Lord lift you right now. If you're discouraged in this place, just take a deep breath in. Realize that God is filling you up. He gave you that breath. He gave you your life. He loves you. And he wants the best for you. Maybe God's sharing with you how to encourage someone else. Giving you a plan. Write it down. I know if I don't write stuff down, I'll forget it. Write it down while God's speaking to you. Could be that God is expanding your heart. Might be that through these past months, you've gotten jaded with people, been hurt, 
confused, frustrated, angry, and you've closed your heart, God is saying, I want you to have that great big heart that I have. But God, the people are so sinful. Yeah, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he's saying, will you love people even when they're wrong? Even when you don't like them, will you love them? What's God speaking to you? Father, those things that you've committed to us, we commit back to you today. We thank you for grace to do the will of God, to be the people of God, worthy of the name Christian. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.